Electric Friends, a Gary Newman podcast celebrating the tracks by a musical pioneer. only a handful of Gary Newman songs that you can truly call ballads. Not love songs necessarily, but calm, reflective, piano-led ballads. Uh, Gary has always recorded moody and atmospheric tracks, but there's one song in particular that I think of when I think of emotional songs by Gary, and that's Please Push No More. The piano synth track was the penultimate song on the original Telecon LP released in 1980. And while the album has some outright bangers like Remind Me to Smile and I Dream of Wires, uh, more if you include I Die, You Die and We Are Glass, um, it had also genuinely moving and thought-provoking moments that tapped into how Gary felt at the time. And Please Push No More did that more than any other from this period. Recorded in 1980, it had only been a year or so since Gary first found fame. His success was meteoric and lightning fast, and in just a couple of months in 1979, he had built up a huge and passionate fan base. Uh, loyal and passionate, yes, but we also know that some humanoids, as they'd become known, may push things too far, and for some, like Gary, only 21 years old at the time and not expecting such instant fame and success, particularly with an undiagnosed Asperger's condition, it must have been a ridiculous amount to take on. And not only that, but critics would prove to be his biggest thorn. Uh, many didn't appreciate his moody and sudden presence. Who was this Johnny-come-lately who looked so miserable on stage? Suddenly a massive pop star with girls screaming his name. What started off as appreciation soon turned ugly in the mainstream music press. And there were other artists who didn't treat him too kindly either. And so Please Push No More was written, a tender ballad where Gary softly sings about his struggles and thoughts, while joined by Paul Gardner on bass, Dennis Haynes on piano, and Chris Payne and Russell Bell on synths. And writing in his first autobiography, Praying to the Aliens, Gary elaborated on how he was feeling when making the Telecon album. He said, Telecon is extremely dark and introspective in places, and the whole album has a very doomy, almost oppressive feel to it. This was my first new album after the success, so rather than fantasizing about life as a pop star, I now wrote about it from a position of real knowledge. The reality that I found myself in was a thousand times worse than I had ever imagined. I felt battered, scarred inside and out. I was struggling to keep it all together. The album is a clear example of a young man whose dream had turned swiftly into a nightmare, trying to make sense of it all, trying to reason out loud. It was not, despite having some punchy driving tracks, easy listening. It was a much darker experience than anything I'd written before. I already wanted to stop the constant round of touring and promotion just to be normal again. As I was writing the album, I slowly began to make the decision that the Telecon tour would be the last of my career. In particular, I was very hurt and offended by the press. I used to read the music papers religiously before I became famous, so I knew that they could be savage. However, I'd never come across anything quite as hostile as the reception I was getting. I couldn't see what I'd done to warrant it. One of the worst things a journalist wrote was that my mum and dad should have been doctored for giving birth to me. One paper portrayed me as a fat white grub, another as a skinny spotty nerd. 
They said I couldn't sing, I couldn't write songs, I couldn't produce. Although it was hard for them to criticise the light shows, they still twisted it so I was made out to be this lofty superego trying to elevate myself above the fans. Either that or they trashed the concerts for being empty, old-fashioned show business, which was still a dirty word in the wake of punk. I became successful without any real support from the press and reached number one before I was ever even interviewed. Possibly that irritated a lot of music journalists. The other thing that the press did that I found unforgivable was to accuse the fans of being brain dead for liking me. And on Please Push No More, he said, I wrote Please Push No More about quitting touring, but it's written as though the final moment has just happened. I was trying to imagine how it would feel the moment after I'd played my last song. Quite apt considering what was about to happen. So the song's first verse starts with Gary talking to an unknown person or group of people and how they made fun of him as he ponders letting go of it all. It could be interpreted that he's talking to either critics or other bands who criticise him and he's now thinking of putting it all behind him. No After the chorus, Gary is now in the future as he's given fame and fortune up, either purposely or not, as he perhaps looks back wistfully at how well he was doing and how adored he was by his fans, but this needs to happen for him to have an easy life again. Now it's all over for sure. has a typical soaring synth instrumental from Gary's band before whale-like synth noises see the song calm down to a simple and quiet ending.
perhaps the greatest version of the song was his performance during his 1981 Wembley shows, which was meant to be his retirement from live performances. These shows were essentially everything he was alluding to in Please Push No More. By 1981 he decided that he couldn't take it all anymore and wanted to step away from the pressures of fame and just concentrate on making music. Though he'd come to regret how he handled it and obviously returned to the stage a couple of years later, this was a massive event for Newman fans who thought they were saying goodbye to their hero. And arguably the most emotional moment was Please Push No More. One of the final songs on the set list saw Gary simply sit cross-legged on the stage while singing the song and Dennis Haynes joining him on the piano. The sight of Gary listening to the sweet synths and viola sounds while taking it all in and instructing his fans to sing along with a little bit of shushing was a truly moving moment. Perhaps he was regretting his decision. As Gary said himself in Revolution, The shows were emotional. In many ways, they were everything that was good about being a pop star. The adulation, the hysteria, the excitement. It was a truly incredible experience. I sang the words to Please Push No More, a song I'd written about leaving it all behind and why, long before I'd said I was even thinking about it. Even as I sang it, I realized I wasn't sure. When it was all over, the gear all packed and the trucks driven away, I walked back out onto the stage. I sat down and looked out at the vast empty arena and I thought to myself, what have you done? It had all happened so quickly. It had been just a little over three years since that first single had come out and it was already all over. Although I fully intended to throw myself into studio work and continue to make albums, Something vital had gone. I've described what becoming famous was like for me many times over the years, in many ways. But imagine you're standing on the platform of a train station. You have your expected journey somewhat planned out. You think you know where you're going, roughly how you're going to get there, and what to expect when you arrive. Then a shiny express train comes thundering through the station. It's not stopping, and moving so fast it's a blur, but you put out your hand and make a grab for it. Miraculously, you manage to hang on, so you hurtle away from everything you've ever known in the blink of an eye. It's a fast, furious, dangerous ride, and try as you might, you feel as though you are losing your grip almost immediately. It's not the journey you expected. It's frightening and loud, strange and uncomfortable. On this train, you have absolutely no idea where you're going. You can see inside, but through windows that seem to distort everything you see. You can't get in, though. Inside, the distorted shapes look glamorous, luxurious, and the people seem serenely self-assured. They seem confident, successful, quite at home, as though they belong. You try as hard as you can, but sooner rather than later, you lose your grip and fall heavily onto the ground. Dirty, 
torn and battered, you stand up and watch the train disappear into the distance. It's dark. You have no idea where you are or which way to turn. A fog closes in and you lose sight of the tracks. You lose all sense of direction, so you begin to walk, somewhat aimlessly, slowly away. You are totally lost. That was how I felt the day after Wembley, and the next day, and the day after that. In many ways, I remained lost for the next 12 years. Nowadays, Please Push No More is a very rare song that he plays live. Um, According to setlist.fm, it wasn't until 2003 that he played it again after those 1981 shows, and he's not played it since 2016 at the time of recording. And looking at your comments, it's clearly a song that means a lot to a lot of you. Um, On uh, Twitter, MP Line said it's unusual compared to the other tunes that are more fast-paced and thrilling on Telecon, Uh, yet the whole Telecon album is a mix of this dichotomy between strong anthems and sad ballads like a man that's empowered by his fame and likewise hurt by it. Adrian Tudor said, It's a lovely song. My first memory is on micro music, seeing him sitting on the floor shushing the crowd while he listened to the music. Then that beautiful transition to Our Friends Electric. He didn't need to shush us in Manchester 2006. I remember silence. It clearly means a great deal to Gary Newman. Not Anthony Fleming said, Please Push No More is so beautiful and very emotional. For me, I associate it with Wembley 81. I remember tears rolling down my face as Gary sang, Now It's All Over For Sure, I Walk Back Home. How apt the lyrics were, I'm never going to see my favourite singer ever again, I thought. Uh, Steve said, It brings back memories of Wembley 81 and New York 2016. A beautiful song and my favourite Newman song, a perfect song on a perfect album. And on Facebook, Jaynan Dennison said, I always have found it a very enigmatic song. I could never work out if the lyrics or about his life and fame, his relationship with the music industry, or a normal love song, or even all of the above. I love the mix of piano and synth. Great track off my favourite album, Telecom. Finally, Christopher Fielding, uh, we obviously spoke to him a couple of episodes ago from Tubeway Days, said it's a beautiful song, so mournful and probably the most intimate song he has made. It's like a direct one-to-one conversation to the fans. Fantastic, and I love singing it. So that's it for Electric Friends this episode. I'll be back next time with another track, and this time we're fast-forwarding to the Splinter album. So please get in touch. Email me, newmanpodcast at gmail.com, or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Get in touch for any reason you'd like to. Uh, I'm on at Newman Podcast on all of those, or you can head to newmanpodcast.com. And uh, please leave a rating and a review when and where you can. It really makes a big difference. And of course, please let your fellow Newman fans and friends know all about the show so that's it see you next time and bye for now
Electric Friends, a Gary Newman podcast celebrating the tracks by a musical pioneer. pioneer.